right, guys, we're, we're in Lesson 20, and we're going to continue on. We're in the last chapter now of these controversial three chapters. And again, I was just going to remind you that why they're controversial is they talk about God's sovereignty and his, his election and his wisdom and his choice. Uh, they also talk about Israel, and so some people kind of misinterpret this. There's, there's something out there called, maybe you've heard of it before, uh, it's gaining prominence, especially among some denominations, about replacement theology. How many of you have heard that term before, replacement theology? What, what in the world is that, George? Well, maybe you've not heard the term replacement theology, but you've heard the premise. And the premise is, is that God has rejected Israel, and we're the new Israel now. The church is the new Israel. How many of you have heard that? That all everything in the Bible uh, is about us now, the church, rather than about Israel. Well, the problem is that's not true. And if we, as we go through this, and especially in chapter 11, we're going to see that that's definitely not true. That God just doesn't cast off somebody that you finally reach a point where he's totally irritated with you if he's chosen you, that he's done with you. Because that's where you get the concept of losing your salvation. And if you, in, in fact, it, to me it's interesting that the people who are embracing replacement theology tend to be those who believe in eternal security, very strongly believe in eternal security. Well, if you believe in eternal security, how can you say that he just cast off a whole group of people? Did you understand that he made promises to and everything? Promises that weren't based on them. Promises that were based on who? Himself. Do you understand? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to work our way through that today. and Try to answer some questions that you might have about God's sovereign choice. And, and even to understand where Israel is at today. So let's look. We're going to look, first of all, at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 11. And then we'll proceed right on. Let's look here together. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or did you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, They have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. If by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Likewise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have attained it, and the rest are blinded, just as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. But let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, 
and bow down their back always. All right, so he's talking about Israel here. Isn't that interesting? He's not giving, he's, he's going to make two points here. He's going to talk about how Israel doesn't see. Do you guys realize that? The Jews don't see it today. Most of them. I mean, you just got to understand that. Okay? I mean, uh, they just don't see it. But he's also going to say that in the midst of their blindness, there are some, he, re, he preserves for himself a remnant. And that's true throughout the entire Old Testament. That even as Israel, as a whole, was rejecting, God always preserved for himself what? A remnant. So let's look at it together and, and see exactly what he's saying here. So, first of all, here's what Paul's saying. Paul anticipates the question concerning whether God has cast off his people. So again, remember now, Paul's into this thing in our epistle here of anticipating what his Jewish readers are going to say. And so the, the natural question that could arise in their mind as they've been listening to Paul and reading him is, well, then God must have thrown off his people. God must not care about Israel anymore. And isn't that what we're talking about today with some people today in the church when they say that the, the church is the new Israel and God's rejected Israel, the nation? It's the same kind of thinking, isn't it? So here he is, he's answering that question. Has God cast off his people? So Paul uses strong language to express that he rejects this idea. Again, he's saying certainly not. That's the polite way our Bible says it. But it basically means no way. I mean, it's like no way. He's using very strong language here to say there's no way possible that that's true. So he goes on to explain it now. Paul proves his point by presenting himself as an Israelite. All right, so here's his first proof concerning answering this issue about whether or not God has cast off Israel. Here's the first proof. Paul says, here's my first proof. Me. Not me, George, but me, the apostle. He said, if God has cast off Israel, why am I saved? Did you understand what I'm saying? If God has cast off all Israel because of their sin, why am I saved? And if all the people who could say that, boy, the Apostle Paul could say that, right? Because remember, he was the one who persecuted the church. He killed Christians. He was doing it in the name of Judaism. And God in his grace, Christ in his grace, reached out on the Damascus road and touched him, didn't he? Saved him. So the first response Paul has to people who would say, God's done with Israel, it's the church now. He'd say, uh-uh, I, look at, and notice how he designates himself. He didn't say, I'm a Christian. He says what? I'm of the, I'm an Israelite. Of the tribe of what? Benjamin. Why does he make that distinction there? He's making those distinctions there to tell people he's a Jew. And he's not just any fly-by-night Jew. He even knows what tribe he came from. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even what tribe he came from. There's one other time that he makes that same type of argument, and it's in Philippians chapter 3, when he talks about his being able to argue against the legalists, the Jewish legalists, because he could say, hey, I'm a true Jew. And when you go to Philippians chapter 3, he makes the same type of argument there. Paul states that God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew.
What's he saying here? I'll tell you what he's saying here. This is, has implications for you and I. He's talking about God, God's sovereign choice. And the reality is, is that whom God sovereignly chooses, he doesn't cast them away. Because it's not based on who, folks? On us or them. It's based upon what? Jesus. And it's on God. Do you understand? On his choice. That's what he's saying here. He's not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Alright, so here's what he goes on. He causes readers to consider Elijah's pleading with God. Now this is in 1 Kings chapter, I believe it's 20. It might be chapter 19. And that's right after, I think it's chapter 20. It's right after he has gone and fire came down and consumed the sacrifice and the prophets of Baal were killed. Then Elijah gets a letter from Queen Jezebel saying, if you're not dead by tomorrow, so be it to me. I'm coming to get you. So he runs. He goes into depression, runs, goes to Mount Horeb. And he's crying out to God. If you read there, it's a classic sign of somebody in depression. I'm the only one going through this. You ever said something like that? I'm the only one left, Lord. Everybody else has rejected you. That's what he's saying there. And here's how God responds to him. Consider Elijah's pleading. Here's what Elijah proclaimed, that he was alone. But the Lord stated he had preserved what? 7,000. 7,000 who have not bowed or kissed Baal. God preserves a remnant. Uh, just stop. There's a good point here. Notice something here. How's God answer his depression? You're not the only one going through this. Because when you go through depression, you think you're the only one going through it, right? God answers him. No, no, there's 7,000 other people, Elijah, just like you. But the point is, is he's saying here, there's 7,000 who have not worshipped falsely. They're still worshipping me. There's a remnant. There's a remnant. Now, that's the point he's wanting to make here. Second point he wants to make is, first point, I'm saved. I'm an Israelite. God's not given up. Second point now, God preserves for himself a what? A remnant. God preserves for himself a remnant. Paul states that even now there's a remnant preserved according to the election of grace. Folks, there, even now to this day, even to our day, 2,000 years ago is when Paul's writing, even now to our day, there are Jews who are still coming to Christ. Now, there are not many, okay? The majority are not, but there are still some Jewish people who are coming to Christ. What is that? What is that? God's preserving for himself a remnant. They go, they're known as Messianic Jews. They're rejected by their own people because now they've become Christian. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the reality is God still preserves for himself a remnant according to the election of grace. So again, notice something. He's using key terms here. He's talking about he doesn't cast people off whom he foreknew. Now he's talking about the election of grace. What's he talking about? He's talking about his sovereignty. God's sovereignty. That's what you've got to rest in. You've got to rest in God's sovereignty. Let's go on. It's not on the basis of works because grace is not grace if it comes through works. All right. How do you know you're saved? 
How do you know you're saved? Somebody want to tell me? All right, so it's trusting in God's word, and it's trusting in the finished work of Christ. Okay, that's good, Bruce. All right. How do you know you're saved? Faith? Okay. How do you know you're saved? Is it because you showed up here today? Is it because you gave something? Is it because you had devotions maybe three times this week? Because you prayed for an hour? You know, you treated your wife nice, treated your husband nice, Helped a little old lady across the street. I mean, I mean, you gave gave up your parking spot at Walmart willingly, so somebody else could take it first. Do you know what I'm saying? You purposely went through the longest line at Walmart so that others could take a shorter line. You know, I mean, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Is it anything you do that brings you salvation? No. If it's if, but you got to guard yourself. Sometimes you think that way, though. It's not possible, George. It's not possible. Okay, when's the last time you wondered if God still loved you? You ever wonder that? I think we can all agree with that one, right? You wonder if God still loves you, right? Okay. But here's the thing. Why do we think that way? Well, we think about the stuff that we go through, and we think about maybe we didn't do good enough in this area or that area. Again, we're always thinking in terms of stuff we've got to do. But that's not grace. Grace is grace. But grace doesn't come through works. So you need to understand that. Okay? You need to understand that. Grace is grace. You know, the other day I, I was reading this in, in Oswald Chambers. Let me find it here. My utmost for his highest. Let me give you a plug. On our app is one of the devotionals we have. is My utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. And this is what he said two days ago, two or three days ago. Let me go here. The greatest need we have is not to do things, but to believe things. That's pretty powerful. You may want to write that one down. This is from Oswald Chambers. Okay, this is not George. The greatest need we have is not to do things, but to believe things. Do you see how that would change you? Because your actions come out of what you believe. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to understand the issue isn't whether or not you're doing all the right stuff. The issue is whether or not you believe the right stuff. Now, what's the right stuff? It's just what Bruce said here a minute ago, that Jesus Christ died for you alone. And that his redemption that he bought for you paid the price for your sin. And it's all by faith. Period. That's what it is. It's not that you do stuff. But how much do we... How many How many of your friends... Hopefully you're not like this, okay? Because you've been here long enough now. How many of your friends are feeling pretty defeated by their church because they didn't do stuff? They weren't dressed the right way, weren't carrying the right Bible. Or maybe they went here or did this or did that or another, and it wasn't, quote, right or acceptable. Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm saying? And, and, and now they think God sees them differently, so when their engine blows up in their car, they think God's out to get them rather than the fact is that they didn't change their oil for a year. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? 
So here's what Paul's saying to us. Paul's saying to us, it's not on the basis of works. His election, his sovereignty, his grace is not on the basis of works. It's on the basis of grace because grace is not grace if it comes through works. That's, that's the reality here. Grace is not grace if it comes through works. Now, here's what he's saying. Israel has not received what it seeks because it was, it is blind, whereas the elect have attained it. Now he's going to make a distinction here. Why can't Israel see it now? Okay? Why can't they see it? Why is it that the Jews can't see what we're talking about? Because they're blinded. Anybody know why they're blinded? They rejected their Messiah. Do you understand? They're blinded right now because they rejected their Messiah. Now the blind, the blindness, Paul's going to tell us, is partial. It's a partial blindness because some are coming to faith. We already know that about the remnant. But it's going to be to a certain time, and we'll study that next week. But for right now, you need to understand, they can't see it because they're blind. But the elect, who's the elect? Those are the ones that God is working in their hearts, whom he, through his sovereignty, is calling out to. They can. Do you understand what I'm saying? They can come to an understanding. Their eyes are being opened to the truth. Now let me just stop for a moment and say, well... Well, if that's true, there's a lot of other people who are blind more than just the Jews. Yeah, there is. If you go to First, Second Corinthians, I think, chapter 4, Paul said this is, is about the gospel. Our gospel is not veiled. It's not hidden. But that the God of this world, who's the God of this world? Satan. Has what? Blinded their eyes. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's blinded the eyes. Of people around you. That's why, you know, how many of you have witnessed to somebody for years and they just can't get it? Have you ever done that? Their eyes are blinded. Here, that's how you pray for them. God, open their eyes. Open their eyes to see the truth. Open their eyes to see the truth. So, he's saying here, Israel has not received what it seeks because it's blind, whereas the elect have obtained it. So he's going to give some scriptural support here. First of all, he quotes Old Testament scriptures to show that Israel is spiritually drowsy and blind. Right now, they're spiritually drowsy and blind. They can't see it. They can't see it. That's just reality. Blind. Have you ever ever presented something to somebody and they just don't see it? It's not just a Jewish thing. It's a Gentile thing too, isn't it? They just don't see it. So he's saying here, he's quoting Old Testament scriptures to show that Israel is spiritually drowsy and blind. Here's the other one. Paul quotes David that their rejection of God resulted in guilt and punishment. That's what's going on here, folks. Do you think just simply rejecting the Messiah has been a good thing for them? Let's ask ourselves that question. Last 2,000 years, how has it been for the Jews? No, hasn't been, has it? I mean, it's been a terrible 2,000-year history for them. Persecution after persecution. I mean, yes, the Holocaust was terrible, and it is terrible. But they've experienced other things beyond that that we don't even know about because we don't study those things in history. Now, let's look at verses 11 
through 15. He's going to talk about, he talked about the Jews, God's mercy on Israel. We're going to spend the rest of our time here, these, these six verses, looking at God's mercy on Gentiles. Now, who's Gentiles, folks? Us. Okay, so let's look here, verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, their failure riches for the Gentiles. How much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are in my flesh, and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Okay, so he's going to explain why salvation, one of the reasons why salvation has come to you and I. And when you understand what he's arguing here, you'll understand, all right, listen to me, he hasn't given up on Israel. Let me just stop for a moment, just so you understand. The Bible, from Genesis to the end, is about one people. Who? Yeah, Israel. America. No, Israel. Okay? Alright? It's about one people. So let's go on here. Paul anticipates the question that Israel stumbled so that it cannot recover. So the next natural question that comes out of his readers he's anticipating here is is that someone saying, okay, well they've stumbled now, there's no way they could recover. Man, you know what, isn't that interesting? Because that's the same thing I'm hearing out there today in theological circles. Well, here's what I'm trying to say to you. How can you get that when he's trying to say to us right here in this very passage, he's answering the question, has God given up on them? There's no way they can recover? Here's Paul's response. Paul uses strong language to express that he rejects this idea. Again, he says, certainly not. God hasn't given up on them. God hasn't given up on them. It's through Israel's fall that salvation has come to the what? Gentiles. That's why you're safe, folks. That's why it came to us. It's because they rejected their Messiah. In fact, you know what? If you go through the book of Acts, it's interesting. When you see Paul go to a... Whenever he goes into a Gentile town, first place he goes to is a synagogue, right? Read through the book of Acts, you'll see this pattern. Goes to the synagogue, preaches there. When he starts preaching Jesus as the Messiah, that he was crucified, after a while, they reject him and throw him out. So Paul says, okay, I'm going now to who? The Gentiles. See, this is the reason. It's through Israel's fall that salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, why is that? Paul tells his readers that if Israel's fall is to their benefit, what will her fullness bring? So if it's to our benefit, all right, listen to me, if it's to our benefit that Israel stumbled at Christ, because now we have salvation, He's saying to you, think about what it would be to our benefit if they come to Christ later on. I'll go ahead and tell you what it means. All right? It means that when he talks about us sharing in their promises, 
we get to share in those promises. Because unless those promises are still true today, we have no part in those promises. Do you understand what I'm saying? How do we share in something that doesn't exist anymore? Do you understand? Those promises just didn't get transferred over to us. We're to share in them. The promises still hold true today for Israel. But they've got a little bit to go. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now when will they finally get there, George? In the end, in the tribulation, when they're almost wiped out, when the Antichrist almost wipes them out. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's when they'll realize that their Messiah is Jesus. One of the most common things that is being sought after right now is is questioning, are you listening to me, who the Messiah is. Jews right now are wanting to know who the Messiah is. Hey, did you watch your news this morning? Maybe some of you didn't even watch the news this morning. The the Iranians, are you ready for this, just successfully tested a long-range ballistic missile that's precise. Now, do you wonder why the Jews are wondering who the Messiah is? Okay? This is what I want you to see. God's not done with them. And it's only for our good that he's not done for them. And how much better would it be when they come to full, in fullness. Because here's, I'm going to be honest with you. When they, when they come to a completion, a place of understanding, it's when Jesus comes back, folks. Aren't you going to be glad when Jesus comes back? Okay, let's go on. Paul's seeking, is speaking to Gentiles since he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Okay? He's speaking to Gentiles because he is what? The apostle to the Gentiles. And here's what he's saying. If Israel's rejection means reconciliation to the world, her acceptance means life. We already talked about that. If her rejection means reconciliation for the rest of us, her acceptance means what, folks? Life for all of us. Life for all of us. Next week, we're going to look at the second part of this. And you're going to be introduced to a statement that how long will this blindness take place? It'll take place until the fullness of the Gentiles. Your Bible will read the fullness of the Gentiles. Let me explain to you, the actual translation is full number of Gentiles. What does that mean, George? It'll take place... Until the full number of those come to Christ. God knows exactly how many Gentiles are going to get saved. Do you understand? 